Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you are keeping up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us wherever you get yours at. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, and anywhere else. Look for us also at Radio Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, it is always great to be with you. And uh, today we have on the line with us uh, Summer Zehra. She she is a case manager for transitional housing uh, with uh, ICNA Relief. Uh, she mentors women, is the founder of Mommy League, and serves women doing a critical postpartum period. No, I'm really interested to talk more about that. Uh, she's also the, an entrepreneur and inventor of the Every Bag, which was born out of necessity to keep her own life in order uh, while on the go with a growing family. So I'm also really interested to have that conversation as well. But we welcome Summer to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. So you do some really, um, uh, what I gather to be very meaningful and impactful work uh, with the, uh, the work that you do uh, on behalf of women. Um, could you tell us a bit about that work uh, through ICNA Relief and how, that, how long that's been uh, in effect and how long you've been working uh, in that capacity? Sure. So with ICNA Relief, I do a couple of different things. One of them is working as a case manager for their transitional housing um, here in Chicago. They also have several transitional homes all across the U.S. And so with the transitional housing, what we do is whenever a woman has any kind of situation where she is basically rendered homeless, whether that's after a divorce or some kind of domestic abuse situation, um, we open our doors and we welcome them to come and stay at our transitional home for uh, between one to six months, uh, and we mentor them, we counsel them, we help them get back on their feet, you know, through counseling, through, um, you know, even the nitty-gritty stuff, like teaching them how to budget, teaching them how to kind of get their life in order, helping them find educational opportunities, helping them get a job, oftentimes even, like, getting a car, um, so walking them through kind of all the different steps that they need to get back on their own feet, mm-hmm. and then uh, we've been so uh, blessed to see these women come from that situation and then go on to self-sufficiency. Um, and so that's the bulk of the work that I do with case management and the transitional home. Mm. Now, uh, you mentioned being able to, um, uh, to give uh, skills that folks that may not, uh, you may not think that this is something that would be needed, but in terms of you know things like budgeting, right? Going being able to go over things like uh, something that's what we might term to be as simple, uh, but to go over things like that, uh, have you found that uh, in your work that the uh, that the women that you're working with that they come really uh, is 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 there a is there a percentage of uh, of women that are more likely to need some of those. Uh, more skills as far as independent living is, is concerned? Is there, is there, is it like midway? Uh, what's, what's the percentage? So we have women that come to us from all different walks of life. You, we have women who are recent immigrants and who've only been married for short amounts of time. We have women who've been married for extended amounts of time. Um, we have women who are very highly educated and then we have women who are not so educated as well. So it really kind of runs the gamut between um, what, a person comes to you with and oftentimes I've noticed budgeting is a skill that no matter which facet of life they're from or which walk <laughs> of life they're from everybody needs help with budgeting you know yeah and in fact when I was going through the training and uh, learning how to budget with for them I was learning it myself like oh, okay this is another way that I can actually break down my expenses and it's so funny I feel like in our society we're not really taught how to deal with money in a healthy way mm-hmm. and so it's really been something that's uh, mission critical to help people say, okay, you have a job, you have money now, how are you going to use it the most effectively so that you can, you know, get the most out of it? Right. You know, uh, as you say that, I think to myself and and just in my own household, uh, 
that budgeting is probably the the one of the biggest uh i think achilles heels that most folks actually deal with uh mm-hmm. regardless of uh yeah. gender or, or background any of those things so um uh but what are what are some of the the challenges of your work uh is is it is is there a difficulty in in making in making sure that those who need your services are aware of their existence um yeah i'll start there you know so we have been uh, really blessed in that our community knows us and trusts us so we end up getting a lot of requests through other messages through facebook even through people just coming to you know us knowing that if there is someone in need, I can turn to Ikna Relief, and Ikna Relief will do their best to see um, what they can do for that person. And so oftentimes on the request end, we do tend to get a ton of requests, and um, even to the transitional house specifically, we tend to get four to five requests a month uh, for different families that need help. So people are certainly aware that, you know, Ikna Relief has a transitional home, and we're able to provide these services. So that in that respect, it's been pretty easy for us to, um, you know, get the word out there that we're, we're here to help. Mm. Now, I know that there are a variety of, um, of circumstances that could lead to women um, uh, seeking out your services. Uh, one of them would be uh, uh, intimate partner violence uh, for those uh, women who have to leave their homes uh, out, of, yeah, out of concern for their safety. Um, in, in those instances, uh, I know that security, uh, and, uh, you know, is, is, is of paramount concern for those women and seeking, you know, relocation or temporary housing. Is that, is that something that is factored in, um, that particular scenario, uh, is the, the, is the transitional housing, is that something that is a private um, is that is that private information or you know how how is that how is that approached? Right. So domestic violence is definitely one of the biggest issues that we see, and you know we have physical violence, and I feel like physical violence kind of gets the line the spotlight, and people always know about the physical violence. But mm-hmm. through our work, we actually see women who are psychologically abused, financially abused, emotionally abused, you know, and they're verbally abused. There's so many factors. To it so many different ways unfortunately that abuse is put on to these women um and you know even the financial abuse oftentimes you'll have spouses either withhold any money or they'll in fact use the used credit cards on somebody on the spouse's name and you know ruin her credit so she ends up being um penniless with twenty thousand dollars in debt or whatever the case might be um, so we see all different kinds of abuse. Now, with physical abuse, we are a little bit more careful because, yes, we want to make sure that we're not um, creating an environment where, you know, maybe the abuser comes back uh, looking for the spouse. So we do not take any active abuse cases. However, once the um, there's no longer a threat of violence, maybe there's a court injunction or something like that that keeps the abuser away, mm-hmm. um, in that scenario, then we, we do accept uh, abuse victims. So... Um, or the abuse has stopped for some other reason, and then we can go ahead and accept them. Mm, okay. Now, th- there's also um, uh, a part of what you do. Uh, I see that the founder of Mommy League uh, and making a specific point to uh, focus on po- the postpartum period. Uh, and, you know, in my own uh, research, I saw some, some statistics uh, stating that one in seven uh, uh, one in seven mothers will develop postpartum depression. Uh, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the things that that you have to look for with regard to this particular um, um, strain of your work? So with the mommy league, it really came from seeing so many women around me that you know were having babies, but unfortunately, you know, in previous generations or in other societies oftentimes women were kind of going through it together and that companionship and being able to rely on one another for emotional support and even for logistical support you know like making a big pot of food and you know it's enough for two families or something like that those kinds of mechanisms that used to exist they're becoming more and more rare in our you know modern america american society and so oftentimes we'll have women who maybe they have families in other places, but when they move, they no longer have that support system. And so it came from 
seeing that all of these people are having babies, they're in this stage of life, and yet they're so isolated throughout that the, the beginning of motherhood. And that isolation really is kind of what nurtures the postpartum depression. And, you know, it can come from so many different factors. But looking to kind of ease those factors to help women get through that critical stage. Um, those first six weeks are really whenever a woman is, you know, there's such hormonal and fluctu- uh, fluctuations going on from having a body that had the baby inside and now the baby's on the outside. So the body itself is going through so many biological changes. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, she is, you know, responsible for taking care of the newborn, oftentimes by herself, and then perhaps even other children at the same time. And I know that oftentimes just because so many women do it all the time, it's kind of thought as, oh, yeah, well, anybody can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. However, it, it doesn't mean it's not hard, <laughs> right. you know? It is really hard, and it does get very stressful for these women, especially when they're alone. Now, one of the most amazing things that we've been able to do with Mommy League is not only are we serving women um, who have just had a baby in those first six weeks, but now imagine women who are refugees from mm. Burma, from Syria, from these war-torn countries that are now refugees in America, and then they're having a baby. Not only are they coming from this very um, traumatic background, but now they're also having this huge life event happen to them where they may or may not have any support. So we've been able to serve a lot of these women uh, in the Chicagoland area that are also coming from these situations as well. Mm. Mm. That, 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 is, uh, that, that is awesome. Um, do you find that because do you find that uh, this is still one of those topics that that doesn't get the attention that it that it should um, because motherhood or the, the act of childbirth seems so routine uh, uh, to, you know, mm-hmm. that that it doesn't it does not get the um, we don't think about the impact of it. And uh, especially in a disconnected uh, society. Uh, what that does or what it takes to to properly get through it beyond the simple physical act of childbirth. Absolutely. You know, um, having children and motherhood, families, it's all so ubiquitous that people really take it for granted. So I really appreciate an opportunity like this to come and speak to hopefully a wider audience about it because it does affect everyone. And oftentimes, um, if you look, if whenever we look into getting attention from the wider community it may or may not be there Mm -hmm. but where we found the greatest amount of support is mothers who have already been through this you know so before our mommy league program has started and um we'll talk to someone and we'll tell them about how it is now and how we're here to help everybody someone who may not have benefited from it in the past because you know their children are older now um 14 15 years old they'll say oh my goodness i wish this was here when i was having my kids so they understand how difficult it was. And so mothers who have been through this, even whenever their kids are a little bit older, they understand and they remember how difficult it was. And so they have really been uh, some of our greatest volunteers and our greatest supporters within the community where they'll reach back out and say, hey, mama, I know what you're going through. I'm here for you. you know. And mm-hmm. so it's a really great cycle to then see, okay, this is someone who is coming from a place of empathy, a place of nurturing and compassion and they're then willing to extend that hand to someone else the best thing that i noticed is whenever we'll have a mom and we'll service her we'll provide her with the meals and lactation consultation whatever else she happens to need and then once her child is maybe two three years old she becomes a volunteer she becomes one of our best advocates saying hey you know what if someone's having a baby let me tell you about mommy league they help me out so much wow um, that's really been where we've found our greatest amount of support. It would be wonderful also to see fathers stepping up and, you know, the greater community also stepping up and saying, hey, you know what, I may not be in that stage of motherhood right now, but Islam values motherhood so much. Mm-hmm. Islam mm-hmm. says that mothers are, uh, you know, deserving of so much respect and love and care. Even if I'm not serving my own mother, if I'm helping another mother, in her time of need, then there's so much uh, ajr and reward for that as well. Indeed, indeed. But, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, within the, the the social climate that we have today, where 
uh, immigrants, refugees are particularly demonized, uh, particularly refugees and immigrants of color. Um, how important is it that that these that this demographic is is seen as as being in need of and worthy of uh, the services uh, that that a program like Mommy League provides um, psychologically? Uh, do you see do you see a recognition on behalf of those that you service that there is a difference in the way that they're being received by by you and your program? Uh, as opposed to maybe some segments of society. And I certainly don't want to make out the entire uh, society to be one that is anti-refugee or anti-immigrant. But um, have you have you noticed, you know, a particular awareness of this uh, openness and reception that your program offers? Well, so one of the great things that I've noticed about our program as well is that whenever we do give things, we try to frame them in a way that, you know, this is not um, a handout. This is not charity that we're delivering to you. We are delivering this gift for your child. We're delivering a warm meal and a smile. We are being the friend network that right. you don't have here. We're becoming part of that friendship network. And the Mommy League specifically actually doesn't even uh, qualify someone as low income or deserving or not based on those criteria. The Mommy League will accept um, women who have just had a baby. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which walk of life you come from. If you've had a baby, we see that as deserving in and of itself because your body has been through so much, because now you're in the stressful stage of, you know, nurturing a newborn, that in and of itself is deserving of care and nurturing. Um, however, with our immigrant and refugee clients, we've definitely um, been able to rally our volunteers and our volunteers are so empathetic and compassionate that they don't necessarily see it as okay this is a refugee and an immigrant that is you know an other right we see so much of ourselves in the women that we serve mm -hmm. and i feel like that's one of our greatest strengths to have that humility whenever we serve others mm -hmm. um how important is education uh with regard to just Every facet of work that that we've talked about thus far, whether it be uh, through the transitional housing program or with Mommy League, how important is education and outreach? If 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 I might add one more uh, point in there. So education is definitely very very important. It's so important for women to understand their rights before they get married, when they're in a marriage, and then if they have to leave a marriage. Understanding all of that is so important to help building her up whenever she may be having, you know, this all this influx of trauma coming from herself, you know, or maybe she's being pressured by her family for some reason or another. But having that education and knowing what your rights are, knowing what rights are afforded to you and how you can go about getting those rights mm -hmm. is so important and saying, okay, you know what? It's okay if someone disagrees me with me right now. I'm able to make this decision for myself and for the betterment of my life. And really that confidence comes from educating oneself. Um, so I would say education is incredibly important. As far as educating our wider community and doing outreach, uh, you know, I really would love to see more, uh, more awareness of it. I feel oftentimes with domestic abuse or with other types of abuse, um, you know, and we've had like, you know, the hashtag movement that has gotten so big. Instead of it becoming something that's so polarizing and then having people trying to defend abusers or trying to say, well, this doesn't actually happen so much or, oh, this is kind of blown out of proportion or women are exaggerating. We really have to believe the survivors because when these women come to us, coming to us is one of the most difficult things that they've had to do. Mm -hmm. Coming to us and saying, I need help, I need to leave my family, or I need to come into a transitional home, those are some of the most difficult things to do. That is not an easy step to take. Right. And so we've seen stories of, you know, kind of unbelievable abuses that are happening, you know, within our community. And it, it would really be, um, it would even... Can exponentially worsen the trauma if we don't believe it. 
You know, if mm. we don't believe that the trauma is happening or these abuses are happening, then ultimately people are going to continue doing them and continue repeating those offenses, right? It's not until we admit that this is happening within our communities that we can say, okay, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to figure out ways to stop it, right? Mm. We just ignore a leaky pipe. We'll, we'll have a flooded house, right? Right. <laughs> we'll say, right. oh, no, no, it's not leaking. Nothing's going wrong. And until we recognize that, yes, this is happening and this is a problem, it's going to continue to happen. And it really, so outreach is incredibly important in understanding that, you know, these things are happening. There's a reason Ignite Release Transitional Home exists, mm-hmm. you know, because there is that need and it's real. Let me ask this. Um, because you, you have referrals that come uh, throughout, a, a, I'm sure outside of, but as well as within the network of Masajid in the uh, Chicagoland area. Um, how important is it for those Masajid to take a, a an active role, and and how how can they best do that to to support uh, healthy outcomes and to reduce some of the uh, some of the the the, the manageable um, sources of displacement on behalf of women? Uh, you know, as we know, they're not all related to um, domestic violence or, or, you know, in whatever form, shape, form, uh, uh, fashion that it may exist. But we know that that is, you know, there's a sizable portion there. How can, how can the Masajid take a more active role, uh, in addressing this? You know, there is the simple answer to marriage counseling, you know, that every Masjid should have some marriage counselors on site, on hand, ready to discuss problems but I'd really like to go further back. Mm-hmm. Don't just have marriage counseling. Have pre-marriage counseling. Yeah. When someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to have a nikah, go ahead and say, all right, we're going to sit down, you and your potential spouse, we're going to talk about these very important things that you may not have discussed. Because in lovey-dovey mode, who really wants to discuss, <laughs> you know, how are you going to break down your finances and how many children you may have and where are you going to live? All those things. Maybe you overlook some really mission-critical Item. Let's sit down and do pre-marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. But let me do something else. Let's go even further back. Before pre-marriage counseling, we need to be talking to our teenage boys and our teenage girls about what healthy relationships look like. Mm. So that men can understand within the prophetic model, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about some new agey <laughs> feminism. I'm talking about within the prophetic model. Right. What is real kawama? What is a man, how does a man take care of his home, right? And not just, oftentimes we'll hear about what are the rights of a husband. I mean, that, that's a lot of the stuff that I, yeah. I, alhamdulillah, I've been blessed to hear. But the rights of a husband, not just the rights of a husband, but let's help these young men understand what are the rights of my family on them? How do I actually take care of a home and nurture a home, right? And for the young women also talking to them about what does a healthy relationship look like to see red flags, right? Whenever a suitor comes or whenever they're talking to someone who might be a potential spouse, to see any red flags, you know, and really instilling in both genders this idea of emotional awareness and emotional intelligence so that so many of the issues that we see coming to us are coming from, you know, someone may have been angry and didn't know how to deal with that situation. Or someone underlying that anger, they may be sad, they may be depressed, mm-hmm. they may be going through some other trauma within their own life that they haven't processed, and then it's coming out on the wife and children, right? So being able to understand from you as a teenager and even younger, I would say, mm-hmm. developing those characteristics of emotional awareness, of, you know, prophetic model of Gawama and taking care of a household. I would say let's start as young as we can so we have these healthy gender roles built up. And then when it's time for premarital counseling and when it's time for marriage counseling, then they're set up. You know, they have that solid foundation and then they're able to get through those issues. That's so that that is a wonderful, uh, wonderful answer to that. Uh, as a father of three daughters, I don't have any sons. Um, and, uh, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have it any other way, but it was not. <laughs> but um, but uh, as a father of three daughters, these are things that are continually uh, on my own you know, radar. 
uh, you know, yeah. the the next, you know, what's their what's the next stage of life going to look look like for them as they find, uh, you know, as far as they, you know, as they get married and have families, you know, inshallah. Uh, these are these yeah, are really, I mean, uh, these are really important things to consider. So, uh, yeah, one of the things that whenever we have a client come in and we hear her story is heartbreaking, and I've I've been exposed to this, um, I always think you know. Behind each broken woman who comes to us, there's a broken man out there somewhere, too. Oh, yeah. You better believe it. There's a broken man out there somewhere, too, who doesn't understand how to deal with life situations, mm-hmm. right? And alhamdulillah, the woman has come to us. We have a transitional home for her. We have resources and mentoring and help and help her get her out of that situation. I would really love to see someone reaching out to that broken man. Mm. And it has to be men. Yeah, that's something that we've learned. Yeah, <laughs> other men have to be the ones that are talking to him and helping him and nurturing him and helping him understand how he can feel from whatever it is he's been through and helping him understand how he can manage his own emotions or anger, whatever the problems might be. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does have to come from men to to start doing that. And inshallah, inshallah, we'll see that starting to happen. Inshallah, inshallah. Um, Radio Islam family, our guest is Summer Zahra. She works uh, with uh, Igna Relief as a case manager for transitional housing and also is the founder of Mommy League. And we've been uh, talking about really important stuff. So if you're just tuning in, you definitely want to go back and check out the beginning. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk with Summer about entrepreneurship and uh, my every bag. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. This is Radio Slam on WCEV 1450 AM. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We are wherever you get yours at. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn, and anywhere else. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. And you know what? I don't think I told you this at the very outset of the program. Take a moment to stop by RadioIslam.com. There you can check out guest bios, pictures, uh, and a lot of other interesting uh, tidbits and facts. And just basically, uh, it's a way for you to keep up with the Radio Islam family. All right. Our guest is Summer Zehra. We have been talking with her about uh, the work that she does on behalf of uh, women uh, and some really critically important things. But we're going to go ahead and shift gears for a moment and talk with her about uh, entrepreneurship and uh, particularly her own uh, invention of the every bag. So uh, as I mentioned at the, in the outset, uh, this was born out of necessity uh, to keep her own life in order while on the go with a growing family. And this is probably something that resonates with many of you, I think men and women. So uh, Summer, Summer, how did the every bag come about? And can you uh, kind of describe exactly what it is sure i'd love to so the funny thing is that i don't like carrying bags <laughs> and i've become the inventor of a bag okay mainly because um <laughs> as i i used to also teach and so as a teacher i would be heading to school i would have one bag full of my 
my notes for my classes, and then I would be dropping my son off to uh, my my in-laws' house for daycare, and I would have that bag, and then I would have another purse, and then I would have, like, all these random things that I would be loading into the car, and it would be so frustrating that before I even got to work, before I even did drop off, I was just frazzled. (laughs) <laughs> and I hated that feeling. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. There are mothers out there everywhere that are working, that are dropping their kids off. There's, there's something better. So mm-hmm. as for the first six months or so, all I was doing, I was just looking for a bag. And I was like, no, this one doesn't work. No, that one doesn't work. So I sat down and I started brainstorming, what do I want with this bag? And really, that's what came of all of this frustration was this amazing bag, this beautiful bag that I've come up with. And what it does is it separates into two bags whenever I need it to. So in the morning when I'm getting ready to get everybody out the door, I can have one bag that I'm setting up, right? On one side is all the diapers and wipes and all the baby stuff. And on the other side of the bag is a fully functional laptop bag, you know, perfect for all my notes and papers and chargers, all that kind of great stuff. And I can carry it with one hand. I don't have to worry about, you know, slinging it three things over my shoulder and getting something else and I can have the baby with me and then everybody gets in the car. Whenever I'm ready to drop the baby off, I unzip the two bags and I can very easily just detach and, you know, send the diaper bag off to, you know, whoever's watching me for the day. And it's also become really amazing for whenever we travel. My parents live in Dallas. So whenever we've traveled, we kind of cheat with that little uh, rule where it says one carry-on only. <laughs> we get to have it every bag. <laughs> so we get to have the diaper bag and the laptop bag, and that and it fits perfectly in the overhead compartment, and I'm so um, happy to use it as a user. It's become my go-to bag. You know, I don't, I don't leave the house without it. Um, and really, as someone who doesn't have a background in business or marketing or, you know, even sewing and creating a product, it's been such a learning experience in um, really seeing something that, you know, I brainstormed and sketched onto a piece of paper mm-hmm. and then having a physical product in my hand that now I love and I want to use and share with the world. I can imagine. So not having a background in, uh, you know, in manufacturing and, you know, in, in, in the business. Um, right. T- tell me this. How long did it take for it to go from a uh, from the idea from, you know, from the pursuit of of a product that would uh, meet the needs that you had and and to a sketch? How long did it take to uh, for it to come to fruition as an actual product that you are now able to carry uh, and utilize? Yeah. So from sketch to, you know, the product that we have on our website right now. I would say it's been two years and between those two years we've gone through over over half a dozen uh, iterations of the product we would make the product and then look it over and show it to potential customers and get feedback and then go back to the drawing board this is what's wrong this is what's not working and really manufacturing and coming up with an invention a matter of perseverance you know you have to keep going back and saying okay this didn't work let me fix it this didn't work let me fix it um i think ben franklin he had like thousands and thousands of inventions and i feel like if i dug into that a little bit more i would see that those thousands of inventions really each one is an iteration right Mm -hmm. (laughs) we decided that we were going to come up with a high quality bag that was going to hopefully satisfy customers but even if you look at the iPhone, right, you're still coming out with a new version and a new model that gets better and better every year. So right. that, that was kind of a lesson that we also had to learn that you can come out with a high quality product and tweak if you need to later. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ahamba, this is our sixth iteration of the product and we are really happy with how it's turned out. And so we are really excited to be putting it out there on the market now. And people can go to, uh, what is it? Um, www.myeverybag.com. Okay. Now, uh, you mentioned that you're able to separate the bag into two. So are there times that um, that you just go with the, the laptop portion of the bag? You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep, sometimes I'll just have the laptop portion with me if I'm just going to work uh, and the baby's at home or if I, my, I'm going out just with the babies and I'll just take the diaper bag size. Yep. So it's really totally functional. 
It comes with backpack straps, so you can wear it as backpack and messenger straps. So you have the option of choosing which way you want for either one. Okay. You know, and I always like to ask this when I talk to uh, uh, to, to entrepreneurs. I talk to folks who, uh, especially, especially those who have who have made something, right, who have actually made a physical product. What 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 is some of the advice that you might give to folks who who have an idea in their head research and keep going you know research 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 there's so many hours and hours that you know i've just sat down and looked at and read different articles about manufacturing about production about marketing uh, you know, any aspect of the whole process that you are not sure about, research will help you. Reading will help you. You know, we live in a time where people can read and learn and research about anything and become proficient. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say I've become proficient yet, but it's <laughs> definitely been the key to getting started and getting the product off the ground. So research and persistence. There have also been so many times where you feel very disheartened. You know, you'll get something coming back from your manufacturer and you're just like, oh my goodness, what is this, you know? <laughs> and should I just throw my hands up in the air and give up? But um, it's the, the difference between success and failure is really who gives up and who doesn't. So mm. whenever we hear about overnight successes, and I always laugh because... <laughs> Nothing is overnight. The person that you hear about today, they've been busting their tail doing what they're doing for, for several years before we even hear of them. Right. You know? So persistence is really, really important. Mm. Well, that is, uh, I think that is sage advice, uh, and we appreciate you sharing it. Uh, once again, because um, I don't think I asked you earlier on, but if you could give folks the information on how they can uh, take advantage of uh, ICNA Relief Services uh, and also, once again, uh, give folks uh, the information on your uh, website and how to how to uh, stay in touch with you and get, you know, and, and purchase the product. Sure, absolutely. So. If you'd like to reach out to ICNA Relief for transitional housing, our website is ICNARelief.org. And you can follow me on my Instagram at SummerZ78, S-U-M-M-E-R-Z78. I'm on Instagram. And then through that, you can also see all of our Mommy League postings. Mommy League is on Facebook. And uh, for our every bag, we also have an Instagram. The handle is at myeverybag. And you can check us out on the website to place an order, www.myeverybag.com. Okay, awesome. Summer, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, we pray for your continued success and and well-being. And uh, inshallah, we'll talk to you again in the future. Thank you, inshallah. All right. As-salamu alaykum. All right, Radio Sound family, we're going to take a quick break and we'll return in a moment with the jobs report. This is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Excuse me, I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline. But nada, nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume, and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill. 
where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Folks, keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Uh, family, it is now time for the jobs report with our friends over at the Chicago Urban League. Uh, weekly, we touch base with employment specialist extraordinaire Kimberly S. Pearson, and she gives the job-seeking public uh, that may or may not be you, but you probably know someone who's looking, so share this information. Uh, we touch base with her, and she gives us the rundown on what jobs, what resources and events are available, and we are always happy to say hello to Kim, who is on the line. How are you doing, Kim? I am well. How are you today? I am much better. Thank you very much. So uh, what great good, stuff good. do you have going on this week? I, I have some really good announcements. I'm excited to share um, some openings and then also uh, some programs we have coming up here at the Urban League. So I'll start with uh, the jobs and then I'll move into the program. So first up, one of our favorite partners, Brookfield Zoo. Um, they are looking for a banquet captain, and this is someone who would be responsible for event management and special events management. Um, you would need to be familiar with managing individuals as well as events and activities. So an associate's degree in business administration, hotel and restaurant management or related field is required as well as three years of relevant experience in special events management and two years of a supervisory experience. They are requirements. Um, this position is full-time. It's all year long, as most of the uh, professional-level positions are for Brookfield Zoo. And also, just to throw out about the zoo, they will be here at the Urban League for a recruitment event on uh, Tuesday, February 26th at 5.30 p.m. so that we can cater to individuals who work as well as high school students that may be interested. Um, so they will be here Tuesday, February 26th. But if you want to go online and apply for this position, <clears throat> It is, uh, you can visit their website at www.cz, like zebra S, so Chicago Zoological Society, org forward slash careers, and you can back with Captain and find the position that way. And please be so mention that you heard about the position through the Chicago Urban League. Um, and you can also reach out to me and get more information in regards to it as well. Um, next up, I want to talk a little bit about Sodexo. And uh, Sodexo is one of those agencies we have a relationship with, and we're always, always working with their partners across the city. So as many people know, Sodexo is a wellness and food uh, company, and they manage kitchens and uh, most food facilities in and around hotels, hospitals, schools, uh, you name it. They're usually where you will go for any type of food-related item in a big building here in Chicago or in a school setting here in Chicago. And so if you're looking for positions in business management, finance, hospitality and or food management, human resources, please visit the Sodexo website. Look at some of their opportunities and then let me know because I have a really great relationship with them at the corporate and local level. They're always looking to diversify their workforce um, and they're always looking for fresh new talent. And you can just go to sodexo.com forward slash careers to get to that main page. And because there's so many openings and opportunities, it's not just one that I'm highlighting, but I definitely want individuals to to take a look and take advantage of the um, opportunities there. And then next up, I want to talk a little bit about some of the great things we have happening here at the Urban League. 
so we did this uh, training a few weeks back right before the Christmas holiday season started. Um, and we had an overwhelming turnout. Um, this is one of the bigger programs or cohorts we've had for our urban tech program in a long time. And what it is is the Scrum Master Training. And so that training is for individuals that's already in the IT world in some capacity and just looking for a certification to kick up a notch. Uh, from what I was told, the instructor did a phenomenal job because over half of the participants, and I believe there were about 25 individuals participated, over half of them took certification and passed. So that is very telling of what type of instruction and how well that program was ran. Um, we are recruiting for that now because we are looking to launch another cohort soon in the very uh, near weeks. And so we're just trying to round up individuals. And some of the basic requirements is one, you do have to have at least one year of project management or Scrum Master IT experience. And you have to have had some work experience in the IT world. Um, if you want to get even more details about it, uh, find out how the how it's going to run. Uh, last time, it was extremely celebrated. It was basically two days, eight hours, both days. Um, so you have to be all the way in. I don't know if they're going to spread it out and make it a week long or if they're going to stick to what worked last time. But if you're interested in getting more information, you can give us a call at 773-624-624. Uh, 8800. I'm going to give that number again at the end because we have some other things that we're also recruiting for. But the individuals that you'll want to speak to for the Scrum Master Training would be Leslie Williams or Regine Bacchus. They are the program leads for the Scrum Master Urban Tech Jobs Program, and they can give you all the details. They'll schedule you for, uh, I think you'll have to come in and take a little pre-assessment. You'll have to be interviewed by them to make sure this would be a good fit for you. Um, and and they're they're really the ones that's going to handle the intake. So you would want to ask for them. Again, their names are Leslie Williams and Regina Bacchus. Next up, um, one of our favorite programs here. It runs all year. We take a break in between the end of last year and earlier this year just to kind of do a reboot and a refresh of our Opportunity Works program. And that is for individuals aged 18 to 24 years who's looking for employment. Um, it's usually people, individuals who didn't necessarily think college was a good fit but not sure what is. Um, this is a great program. It's three weeks long. It's pretty intense because it's Monday through Thursday, so three weeks. Um, it's a resiliency training, life skills training, and then job readiness. And when you're done with that, uh, the program manager, she does an excellent job of making sure you are ready to work and just ready to live and be productive as well. And the individuals that you would want to speak with uh, for that program would be Letitia Landon or Calvin King. Uh, they manage and run our Opportunity Works uh, program, and they actually have a cohort starting February 18th. So that's in another couple weeks. So if you're interested or if you have someone that's in that 18 to 24-year um, age range, definitely have them call us and get more information because I think this would be a great, great, great opportunity for a young person who's trying to figure out what their next steps are. Uh, we have other trainers come in. We have employers come in. They do applications on the site. At the end of every cohort, there's a job there, and these employers come out to work directly with that population. So it's really uh, detailed, and it's intimate, and it's geared towards that specific group, that 18 to 24-year-old group. And we take a lot of pride in making sure that we get you guys ready for everything um, if you participate. So again, cohort starts February 18th, and if you have questions about it, you can contact Letitia Brandon or Calvin King. Um, we have a lot of things going on at the Urban League. We just launched our construct program. It started yesterday. We're already off to a great start. Uh, that program is at its capacity, but we have a solar training program coming up uh, in the next month or two. We have a couple other things down the pipeline. So if you want to get connected, learn more about these opportunities, these programs where you can participate in and get more certifications, or if you just want some assistance with finding employment or just want to know more about the Urban League and how you can become more involved, 
please come to our orientation. It happens every single Thursday here at the league at 9 a.m. sharp. We do ask that you bring two forms of identification, but if you don't have that, please don't let that stop you from coming. Um, our number, if you have any questions about any of the information, I know it was good, is <laughs> <laughs> 773-624-8800, um, and you can the individuals I mentioned, but if you can't remember anybody's name, you can say the program name. So you can say Scrum Master, or you can say Opportunity Youth Program, and our admin, she's wonderful, she's great, she will know exactly where to direct your call. Awesome, awesome. Uh, great start. It is great to talk to you again, Kim, especially after uh, being down and out with the flu bug, uh, but wor work continues, and, uh, yeah. and the job search continues, so Please keep up the great work, and uh, we're looking forward to touching base again next week. Absolutely, and keep getting better, Therese. It was great talking today. Likewise. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Take care, everybody. All right, Radio Sound family, we're going to take a short break, uh, but before we do go, uh, we remind you, you may not be looking, but you probably know someone who is, so please do share this information. Uh, we're going to take a quick 45 second, one minute break, uh, but we will be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. Excuse me, I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline, but nada. Nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me, and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So, I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume, and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Keep up with us on social media at Radio Islam. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us all at Radio Islam. Uh, last but not least, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, many of you are aware of the, uh, the whole email scandal, uh, and we're not talking about Hillary Clinton and her 30,000 emails. We're talking about Joe Ricketts, uh, the owner of the Chicago Cubs, uh, and his Islamophobic emails uh that have been brought to light recently and there's a lot of there's a lot of talk there's a lot of responses there's a lot of condemnation uh from folks and rightfully so but i am going to give you a different um perspective uh and of course it's just my perspective first is this uh because i'm not surprised and neither do i think uh most folks are that he happens to hold these types of uh, views um, or that we're that he's apologizing because it came out. Right. That's the only reason that we have an apology. We have an apology because um, because all of the surface and the Cubs as an organization are doing what they're supposed to do, which is they're distancing themselves from those types of uh, from those types of uh, of sentiments. Right. Those types of attitudes and saying that these don't represent who we are. But the real question for me, the real perspective that I want to kind of open up here is, do we really think or do we expect that Cubs fans, do we expect that there's going to be a response from them that is going to say that this type of uh, these types of of of, of views Right. This xenophobic and bigoted and racist types of views uh, that are held by the, the person that's put the money down to get the Cubs. Are they going to say that this is unacceptable? And is there going to be any type of an economic uh, reprisal because of it? 
And I think if if the experience, uh, what we've seen uh, take place with Colin Kaepernick uh, in the NFL, I think the answer is there will be some outcry. There will be Muslims. There will be allies. There will be others who will say that this is unacceptable and you need to go beyond simply apologizing. You need to do something that's going to have a structural impact on removing the uh, removing uh, the impact of these types of viewpoints from having any type of manifestation in the organization. Right. And there are a number of things that could be done. I'm not going to get into those things. Uh, and the Cubs as an organization may or may not respond to that. But more importantly, the question for me, the question for me and the question for you that I'm, that I'm putting out here is what do you think is going to be the response of the Cubs fans in general? And uh, what's going to be the, the response of most of most white fans, most white non-Muslim fans uh, who make up the majority of the folks who are in the seats in uh, at, at Wrigley Field? How are they going to respond to this? Are they going to respond any differently? Any differently than they responded for those who make up, uh, because it, it is still white Americans who make up the majority of, um, of, of attendees at sporting events. If we're talking NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, soccer, you know, within the United States, it is still that demographic that... Uh, that that's spending the majority of the money um, to support these teams that that come out, and it doesn't negate anybody else. That's just a economic. That's an economic fact. If you see things differently, you know, let me know. But because they didn't show up for cap, uh, they didn't show up when it came to issues of police brutality, um, police killing unarmed black men. Uh, and there being no accountability on behalf of police, this this culture that we live in, they didn't show up then. Um, what is to say that they're going to show up now when it comes to branding Muslims as the enemy, looking at Islam as a cult uh, and not a religion and looking at a, a whole series of of indicators that the Muslim presence is too much or looking at Muslims as being a drain on society, what's to say that there's going to be a response any different than there was when it was uh, African-Americans or black and brown that were center stage as um, with regard to uh, protest when that was the issue, when they were at the center. So now we have this, we have this, this newest uh, circumstance, this newest situation. And honestly, Honestly, I think I'm a little I've seen this movie before. I'll say it like that. I've seen this movie before, so I'm not really expecting too much. Um, people are repentant when they're caught. Uh, that's just the way, you know, things work. Uh, you can be racist. You can be bigoted. You can support policies uh, that disproportionately impact uh, minority groups, whether they're African-Americans, um, Muslims, uh, immigrants, uh, whatever they are. You could support those policies as long as long as you do not verbalize your animus. You do not verbalize your racist uh, tendencies, your bigoted uh, ideologies. As long as you don't put it out and there's not a record of it in that in that case, you can let your money work to uh, work against those uh, those folks. And. And you can do it under the name of being a patriot. You can do it under the name of trying to uh, uh, to help national security or fiscal responsibility or any other number of, of banners that are used to enact harmful legislation or to uh, demonize uh, minority segments of the population. So I'm not really expecting too much. I'm certainly not surprised, but what I will be looking for is to look to see if this plays out any differently uh, from the fans themselves. That's what I'm going to be interested to see. And we'll keep looking. All right, folks, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us for another ish, uh, edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Uh, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We thank our engineers over at WCEV. 
the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. <laughs>